I'll tell you, it's a good day to be at the garden, amen? Hey, give a couple people a high five and have a seat. Yeah. Hey, isn't that a great place? Is this not a, oh, an amazing place? Do you understand how amazing this place is? That we're, we're having to take valuable kickball space and turn it into a parking lot so that hundreds of families can come and find a place. Do you understand? Yeah, hold on, listen. Listen, last weekend, they had to find places off of our property to find people, to find them a, a spot to park. Do you understand that? That we had to find places not on our property so that people could park and attend our services. It's a big deal out here, guys. It's a big deal that hundreds of par 100 parking spaces right out here for 100 families. And you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. And it's like, man, we have to get more and more parking spots because, you know, Taylor's adding to her family. And, hey, Josh and Jessica are adding to their family. Hey, oh, hey. Josh told us earlier the reason why is because Jessica can't keep her hands off of him. And I said, I said, wow. I said, oh my gosh, Josh, knock it off. This is the church. Hey, let's pray. For Josh. Pray for Josh. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. God, we pray today that your perfect word would do its perfect work in our imperfect lives. And God, we thank you that we would respond in order. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 You guys ready? Hey, do you guys love the preaching and the teaching of this house and the leadership of this house? Come on. I really do. It, 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 it's an honor to be able to preach on the stage. It's an honor to be able to hold the mic and have your attention for this amount of time and I'll tell you what, you're probably going to hear a lot of stuff that you've already heard before because I'm just, I'm a master of uh, ripping him off. And uh, the youth kids, they hear like the same message throughout the year, like in just in 52 different ways. It's the same thing, just trying to make it sound a little different. Uh, and I figured out the best way to, to rip someone off, to plagiarize. And, and, and it goes like this. The first time I say, listen, uh, pastor always says and then I'll let them know. And then the next week, I'll say, it has been said. And then, and then the third time, I'll say, I have always said. And, and, and i tell you, hey, give someone a high five and tell them, plagiarize. <laughs> that's the best way to do it. If you're a business owner, that's how you do it, right there. That's how you do it. No, it's going to be a good day. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things my dad has always said, and, and uh, it's something that I have been able to experience firsthand, is, you know, one of the best ways to honor him uh, isn't to call him pastor or to uh, give him gifts or anything, but it's to apply the word to your life and live it out. And, and the, the most honoring thing for him is when he sees someone who has applied the word to their life and it has changed them and they are living it out. And it's cool because uh, I have parents come up to me and they'll let me know, hey, the word has changed my kid's life. They are different. They're living it out. And I hope in today that the word that is spoke to you will allow it 
to come into your life and change you and that you'll begin to use it and apply it and, and, and allow it to change your life. That it wouldn't just stay here on Sunday, but it would follow you to Monday and it would visit you on Tuesday and that you would, you would bring it up on Wednesday to get you to your Thursday and Friday and you'd get back here. I'm praying that the Word of God would do a work in your life today. How many of you guys agree that you want the Word to apply your life? Hey, I want to I pull up a, 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 a story about a centurion as I was preparing for the, for the Word this week. It was, it was one of those times where everything I looked at over my notes and the last couple of weeks in my prayer journal and everything, it was just nothing. Everything looked the same. Nothing jumped out at me. Nothing was like, man, this is what I need to speak on. And so it was just one of those times where it's like, okay, God, you, I'm going to let you do what only you can do. But at the back of my mind, there was a story, the story of the centurion, and it's in uh, Luke chapter 7. And if you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7, how many of you guys love the Word of God? How many of you love the Word of God? Yeah. Well, Luke chapter 7 is the story of the centurion, and we're, we're going to read it together. Uh, so turn your Bibles on or open it, however you got to do it. Uh, it says, when he had concluded all his sayings, talking about Jesus, and hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his slave. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus said, Okay, and he went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, do not trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be cured. For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said this, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And the thing that jumped out at me, the thing that I've been thinking about this whole time is so great of faith. Jesus said, I have never seen so great of faith. If you're taking notes, and I believe that you should take notes, because I think if you want to change the world or you think you got any shot at it, you're going you're gonna to take notes. Note takers are world changers. It is what it is. I, I want you to title this message, So Great of Faith. So Great of faith. I started thinking about that. You ever, you ever get to that point where you see something maybe in a store or uh, you see a, a, a car going down the road or you, or you see something and you just say to yourself, I want it. I got to have that. You ever been there? The majority of that was women. <laughs> they want everything. I want it. Well, I read this verse and it said, so great of faith. And, and, I, and on the inside, I just said, I want that. Man, I got to have that. And, and so I started thinking, okay, what is it? How, how come he has so great a faith? How come his faith was different than everybody else's? How come his was, Jesus described, he has never seen something so great. So I started to figure it out. You ever get to that point where you just got to figure it out? I want it, so I'm going to figure out how I can get it. And so I started to study it, and, and, and Spurgeon said this about the centurion's faith. Spurgeon said this. He said, the man's deep humility was not damaging to the strength of his faith, and his gigantic faith was by no means poisonous to his deep humiliation. See, I'd never tied humility to faith. Never have. You ask me about faith, I tell you everything I know about faith, what I believe, how I use it, I would have never said humility. And so it's like, okay, well, how does that 
apply to faith? How does that work? And I want to show you. So let me ask a question. How many people in here are humble? I'd say about 10% raise their hand. How many people are humble? See, we have this, 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 this skewed vision of what humility really is. See, in 1 Peter, it says, it says, in the same way, you younger men be subject to the elders. And it says, and all of you, that's all of us, that's nobody in particular, that's everybody. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he's saying, put on humility. Put it on. TJ, grab that shirt and hop up here. Would you give TJ a round of applause? So here's the deal. In school, we learned about the humility three-step in Bible college, okay? And it's three things. It's to yield, to withdraw, and to retire. To yield, to withdraw, and retire. Biblical humility. Put the shirt on. This shirt represents humility. Put on the clothes of humility. That makes sense? So TJ is now putting on humility. Okay. TJ is now putting on Humility, okay, but this is what the world thinks. You look good. The world thinks this. TJ has humility on, but TJ can't tell people he's wearing that shirt because if he told people he was wearing the shirt, then in reality, TJ's not really wearing the shirt because he told someone he was wearing it. Does that make sense? I, I'm not humble because if I were to tell you I'm humble, then I'm really not humble. It doesn't make sense. And that's not what he's saying. To yield, to withdraw, and to retire. To yield, we see it in, in traffic, is to give the right of way. To, to, to withdraw, to remove from a certain, a certain position. Or to retire, essentially to give up. Do you understand what humility is? It, 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 could, be, it could be said, it is not my will, but God's will. That is biblical humility. It is to say, hey, He's wearing humility, but that doesn't separate him from everybody else. No, what it, what it means is that he is willing to do whatever he's got to do. If he's the CEO of a company, it doesn't mean that he has all these rights now and he doesn't have to know. It means he's willing to step into whatever position he needs to to make sure the job is done. That's biblical humility. I'm not going to worry about what I want, my desires, my ambitions. I'm not going to care about what I need. I'm going to worry about what God has asked me to do. That is biblical humility. Take a seat. And I want to show you biblical humility. I want you to see it because it ties to our faith. Humility and faith go hand in hand. It's like brother and sister. Where one goes, the other goes. And I want you to turn to the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And I'll tell you what. It is a hard book to find. Use your index if you need to. Unless you have a phone, you just scroll to Jonah. And you just click it. Makes it a little bit easier. But see, here's the deal. We, 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 we all know the story of Jonah because Jonah disobeyed God and got eaten by a fish. And I want to read you chapter 1 of Jonah because I think Jonah is one of the perfect examples of biblical humility. Let us read. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish, from the Lord's presence, he went down to Joppa, and you know what the old country preacher said, don't you? Anytime you run from the Lord, you better realize that you're going to go down. 
Okay, <laughs> okay. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, and, hey, Kev, you know what the old country preacher said? <laughs> Anytime you run from the Lord, you better realize you're going to have to pay your price. <laughs> okay, well, when I said that to myself, I laughed out loud, and I thought you would too. He paid the fare and went down into go into, with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. It says, And then the Lord heard a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen asleep into a deep sleep. I like that he had stretched out. He got comfortable. It's going to be a, a windy ride. I'm going to get comfortable for a second. Fall out, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we are in. And they cast lots, and they singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? Where did you come from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. See, I want to I say something right there. You know, it's one thing to run from God. It's another thing to admit that you are running from God. You got to give it to Jonah. He's running from God, and he's willing to admit it. Hey, listen, yeah, I'm not in the will of God right now. So just so you all know, this is where I'm at. A lot of people run from God, but they're going to try and act like they're in the will of God, and they're trying to figure out why it's all brave. Why, and, then, and you know you're not in, will, in God's will, but you're going to try and act like you are. It's just, it makes it complicated. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. So not only is he willing to admit that he's running from God, he's also willing to be a part of the solution. I know a lot of Christians who aren't willing to be a part of the solution to the mess that they have made. And, I, and I, would, I would encourage you that if you know you're running from God and you know that it's creating chaos for everyone around you, would you please just admit it and then quit it? Try and figure out a solution to get the show back on the road. I think that's a good point. You should clap right there. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. See, here's the deal. Jonah gets a bad rap. Man, he, he disobeyed God. He ran from God. He, he, he almost killed a bunch of people because he's running from God. And then he gets thrown into the well. And, and that's, what, that's what you get. But he gets such a, and that's how we know him. I, gar I guarantee if you went over to the kids ministry and you said, hey, wh what do you know about Jonah? Well, he disobeyed God and got thrown into the well. That's how we know him. But the first time you hear about Jonah, do you know it's in 2 Kings? And he's prophesying over the, the nation of Israel. And God moves because of what Jonah did, and the whole nation becomes very prosperous. Do you know that it said that its borders were enlarged because of Jonah's ministry? 
The, the first time you hear about Jonah, it's not his disobedience, but it's ob- his, his obedience to God and how God moves. If, if you're a business owner, you want Jonah to come to your business. If you, you want him in your home because where he is, God is. But we don't know him from his obedience. We know him from the one time he made a mistake. Isn't that like a lot of Christians? We know you from the one mistake you made, and we're going we're gonna to pin that to you. And every time we see you, we're going to think about that one mistake. Instead of with the times that he's been faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. See, here's the deal. We see Jonah, and, and, and we see him because of his disobedience. But do you know why he disobeyed? Well, he had to go to Nineveh. Nineveh's a bad place. You know, y'all say, we all got to Nineveh. We all got to go to Nineveh. Jonah, just pick up your stuff and go to Nineveh. It's not that big of a deal. Do you know who the Ninevites were? Not good people. Not good. They were barbaric. Terrorists. An enemy to God and his people. Let me tell you a little bit about the Ninevites. Because, hey, we all have our Ninevite, right? We all got to go to Nineveh at some point. The Ninevites... The kings would stretch you out on a rope. From each limb, they'd stretch you out with a rope so that they could easily fillet the skin off your flesh while you're alive. <laughs> Just Nineveh. <laughs> and then they would take your skull and, and they would stretch the skin around the skull and then use that as the mantelpiece for their home. It's welcoming. Hey, come on in. <laughs> Don't look around. <laughs> it, 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 it was no big deal for the Ninevites to rape women and children of their enemy. And not only that, and I don't want to get too graphic, but they would rip the sexual organs of men and women off while they're alive. They would cut the hand of their enemy off so that they could shake it in front of them while they're alive before they killed them. It's just Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. We all got our Ninevehs. And we, we, it's like, hey, we all got to go to the DMV at some point. You know, just it's Nineveh. We all got to go. <laughs> do, you, do you see what he's going through? Jonah grew up hearing about the Ninevites. The boogeyman from Nineveh. This is who, and, and, and he's in a position where he, everything he's doing is working. God is blessing his ministry. And God says, I need you to go over there. Whoa. No. Hello. <laughs> Send an intern to Nineveh. <laughs> here I am. I'm, I'm here. This is my spot. Do you understand how Jonah could have said, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that, God. And so he doesn't. And, the, and, and chapter 1 of Jonah is his excuse of why he shouldn't go. And then chapter 2, if you would read it, it's the whole time that he spends in the belly of the whale, it's regret. Chapter 1 is excuse, and chapter 2 is regret. And I want you to write this down and then say amen once you've actually looked at it. But today's excuses are tomorrow's regrets in disguise. Write that down. Today's excuses are tomorrow's regrets in disguise. See, I want to ask you a question. When God gives you an instruction, do you see it as an invitation or do you see it as an interruption? Because see, in Jonah's life, it comes as an interruption. But I want to encourage you that every instruction from God is an invitation, even in the midst of the interruption, especially when it's an interruption, if you choose to see it that way. God gave Jonah an invitation to come and be a part of something that he wanted to do somewhere. See, God has invited you, all of us, to do something as long as we'll come and be a part and do it his way and the way he wants. But a lot of times it interrupts our schedule. It interrupts what we think we want to do or how we should do it. And so we say, no, never mind. I'm going to go do that. And then I guarantee you the next day we're regretting it. 
It's what it is. Jonah and humility. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, is what I believe to be biblical humility. And the first verse is probably one of the best verses in the whole book of Jonah. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's good news. I don't know about you guys, but that's good news. Because there have been plenty of times where I have needed a second chance. There have been plenty of times where I've needed a third chance. See, here's the deal. I serve the God who's not the God of a first chance or a second chance. He's the God of another chance. And I just want you to know that no matter if you're running from God, if you're on the backside of the desert, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, that God is willing to give you another chance if you will just submit yourself to his will, get your pride out of the way, and step into what he's asked you or invited you to do. Biblical humility, verse 2 and verse 3 of Jonah chapter 3. It says, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went. That is biblical humility. Get up and go. So Jonah got up and went. Remember what Spurgeon said. He said, he said that the man's deep humility wasn't dangerous to his gigantic faith, and his gigantic faith wasn't poisonous to his humility. See, humility and faith work hand in hand. Humility is, God, I'm going to do exactly what you called me to do. I'm not higher than anybody else. I'm not greater than anything else. God, I am who you've called me to be, and I'm going to do exactly what you've called me to do, and I'm going to do it your way, how you want it done, when you want it done. I'm going to get rid of my ambitions, get rid of my desire. That's biblical humility. He said, get up and go. So he got up and went. But, see, Jesus said to the centurion, he said, so great a faith. See, so great a faith. And so it's like, okay, he had this great faith, but how? Where did it come from? What, what made it so special? And, 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 and I want to show you a story in Mark chapter 3 of how Jesus, he, 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 he confronted a system that was broken a system of faith, so to speak, that was broken. And, and you read in Mark 3, verse 1 through 6, if you would read it with me, it says, Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to, in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely. The Pharisees, see, the Pharisees were here, and they're watching him closely uh, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So it's on the Sabbath, and they're watching to see what Jesus is going to do because they want to pin something on him. They want to they be able to accuse him. And it said, he told the man with the paralyzed hand, Jesus talking, stand before us. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or do what is evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And Jesus, after looking at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told them, he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. See, I want to show you, God used Jesus. How many know that Jesus will confront you? See, I think a lot of Christians know Jesus has the comfort. Hey, he's going to come and comfort me. But, but, but comfort and confrontation are two ministries of Jesus. He will comfort you when you need him, and he will confront you when he needs you to get up and get moving. Does that make sense? So he's looking at a broken system of faith here. Uh, and here's the deal. Faith is used so much nowadays. I mean, it's used for almost everything. I mean, we'll tell people, hey, they, they stepped out in blind faith. And that's almost a way of saying, what an idiot. 
That guy has no idea what he's doing. You use blind faith. We'll say, hey, they're a person of faith. The other day on the radio, I heard it is a faith-based organization. Uh, they had great faith. They had little faith. I'm a man of faith. Uh, we, we, use it, we use it so much, it's almost like it's an ethnicity now. Are you Caucasian? Are you black? Are you faith? Democrat? Republican? Faith? What are you? What are, it, it, it's used so much nowadays that it's almost meaningless. Faith, it's almost meaningless because it's used by so much. And see, it's not meant to be a formula. Do you understand that? Your faith isn't meant to be a formula. If you can take your faith and you can figure it all out and, and break it down to a formula, it's not faith. Your formula is not faith. See, we think, and I know we say we don't, but we think faith is, uh, man, it's based off our feelings and our, and our emotions and what we can see. And I know we say that, no, faith is what you can't see. But yet, we don't act that out. See, when something goes wrong and someone's talking about, your, about you behind your back, faith would not get on Facebook and talk bad about them. See, when, when your boss isn't being the nice guy you think he should, faith doesn't sit in the break room and talk negatively about him. Here's, here's something. Faith doesn't go to the doctor hoping to hear a good report. God has already given a report. Faith doesn't need to hear something else. It already has its report. One guy said, faith is patience with mystery. The ability to stay the same no matter the circumstance, even when you have no idea where you're going or what's going to happen. Faith is patience with mystery. See, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let, let, let's play a game. What is, and we did this with youth, and they did so good at it, so I know you guys are going to do good too. It's called the opposite game. What is the opposite of tall? Good. We had one youth leader say, smart. It was like, What? You're a leader. <laughs> okay, what is the opposite of heavy? Light. What's the opposite of dark? Light. <laughs> Twofer. What is the opposite of faith? Okay. Cheaters. See, we hear doubt. We hear fear. But I want to give you a third option that one guy said because, see, we think that the evidence of doubt means that there's an absence of faith. But one priest said that the opposite of faith is uncertainty. The opposite of faith is uncertainty. When you got it all figured out, see, when, when you're not willing to step into a territory that's going to cause you to face the challenges that are going to come against you, when you won't do what God's asked you to do because you're uncertain of how it's going to look or how you're going to feel or what's going to happen, that is the opposite of faith, uncertainty, uncertainty. See, I don't have to feel to know I have faith. I don't need goosebumps to know that I'm in the presence of God. See, one question you have to ask yourself is, what is your objective for faith? What is the objective of your faith? What is it for? 
See, a good trainer, when you go to a personal trainer and you want him to help you work out, he's going to ask you, why? What is this for? What is the purpose of this? Are you just trying to work out and look good for your honeymoon so you look good for a week, or are you trying to make it a lifestyle? Is it a trend, or is it a lifestyle? And I've found out, and it's really becoming quite popular, but it's, it's a pretty nice trend nowadays to be a Christian. It's pretty trendy right now to say, I got faith. I, I go to church. I love God. But tomorrow, when it doesn't go the way you want it to, and they're no longer the faith guy, but they're the guy who's talking bad or the guy who's not, not doing what God wants them, but they're no longer. And then the next day, when it is going their way, hey, I love God. I'm a faith. It's such a trendy thing right now to be a Christian. And that's exactly what it, what it is nowadays to be a, to a Christian. It's just a trend. And I have a friend, and he, he lives in Tulsa, and he's a, he's a style blogger, fashion blogger. And, and he, he wrote something the other day that I thought went perfectly with this. But he says that fashion is ever-changing, always evolving, and constantly pushing the limits of what's fresh. It keeps the clothing industry moving forward and sets the bar of what's trendy and what's not. From cut and color to material and texture, fashion is what is in right now. Style, on the other hand, is personal. It's what sets you apart from everyone else. It's your look, your identity. It's your take on the current trend and your adaption of what's in style. In essence, your style is your unchanging view of what looks good on you. See, I think faith in Christianity today is a lot like fashion. It's what's in right now. But I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there who have style, who have made it a lifestyle. And that's what you have to realize, that what is the objective of your faith? Is it something that's in right now, something that you use whenever you want? Today is here today, gone tomorrow, or is it becoming a lifestyle? Your faith needs to become a lifestyle. See, there's three types of people in this passage of Mark. There's the man who needs to be healed. There's Jesus. And there's the Pharisees. One needs to be healed. One went to heal. And one, one went to watch. See, I think a question you've got to ask yourself is, why do, why do I come to church? What, why am I here? Is it, is it a, a faith that's, that's exclusive or is it a faith that's inclusive? Are you more concerned about how we hand out groceries in the parking lot or to who we hand them out to or how the coffee served? Or are you more concerned about, about just being a part of what God's doing? Are you more concerned about how God does something or just being a part of when he does something? You got to ask yourself, what are you here for? Why do you come here? Is it to watch or to be a part? See, a lot of people come to watch, but I, I challenge you to come to be a part. What is your faith for? He confronted a broken system, a man who couldn't reach out, surrounded by men who wouldn't reach out. What are you here for? What are you here for? See, the objective will always be surrounded by an occasion. See, he did it on the Sabbath, a day you weren't supposed to work. Jesus went on a day you weren't supposed to work to show them that what they're doing wasn't working. What's the occasion of your faith? Uh, I, I have these, 
I have these, these glasses in my house. When I moved out and, and, I, and I got my own house, I think it was Grandma, Nana and Papa, Nana and Papa brought me these old crystal and gold glasses. And I have like a lot of them. I don't know how many there are. There's the big ones and little ones. And they're so, I think they're so cool. They're vintage and they got like gold leaves going up them and, and they're awesome. And I've had them for a little over two years and I've never used them. <laughs> Ever. I see them every day when I open the cupboard and get a plastic cup down. <laughs> every day I see it. And, and here's the deal. They're in storage and they're nice and they're, and they're perfect, and they're for a special occasion. I wonder if that describes your faith. Is it in storage? Is it being held for a special occasion? Are you the kind of guy that breaks your faith out on Christmas and Easter? See, your faith isn't meant for a specific occasion. I would, I would like to say that I have a paper plate kind of faith. Something that I can use on a daily basis. Something that doesn't matter what the meal is. doesn't matter what time or day. But I can break it out. It's going to be durable. It helps me my Monday, my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I got a paper plate kind of faith. What's the occasion of your faith? So you, got, you got people who say, well, I, I, I'm a faith guy. I, uh, I, I grew up in church. I don't think your faith is so much as an heirloom. I don't think it's something that you just pass down. See, you got, you got people who say, uh, what is it? They say, oh, my faith is a, it's a private matter. It's between me and God. My faith is it's a private matter. See, I think your faith outwardly shows how you, it, it, it outwardly affects how you treat people every single day. I think it outwardly affects how you, it's an outward look of an inward. Does that make sense? What's the occasion of your faith? And then there's the outcome. See, is your faith based on an outcome? See, in that passage of Mark, there's two different outcomes. One outcome is the man is healed. The other outcome is men scheming against Jesus how they might destroy him. See, here's the deal. If your faith is based on an outcome, it's only a matter of time until you lose it. If your faith is based on an outcome... It's only a matter of time until you lose it. See, because you can have faith, and sometimes you, you stay sick. You can have faith, and the marriage doesn't seem to be getting any better. So you can have faith, and, and the kids are still jerks. See, the, the, the outcome, it, your faith isn't an outcome. It's, in fact, it's an outlook. It's not, it's not what happens. It's how you see it. See, you have to be able to get to the point where you can say, hey, come hell or high water, I am convinced in neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, no matter what happens, God, I have faith, I trust in you. Come on. See, it's not an outcome, it's an outlook. How do you see it? Jonah, how do you see this? It doesn't look good to me. Go to the great city of Nineveh. It don't look so great. They, that does not look like Disney World. That looks like the opposite. It's an outlook. How do you see it? See, I want to be at the place where I'm able to say, you know what? I'm going to make a, a statement in advance. God, I trust you. No matter what it looks like. 
no matter what happens. God, I'm going to give you glory no matter how this turns out because I know who you are and I know that your word never fails and I know that you're for me, so who can be against me? God, I trust you. The outcome of your faith, and here's the deal, that now there's order. See, order comes. Jesus gave an order to the, to the man with the withered hand. He said, stand up. And, and, and he looks at him, and, he, and, and, and because, see, I read that verse, and, and the logical way to read that would be, Jesus told him, your hand is restored, now stretch it out. That would be the logic, how, how we would have written the story. Jesus said, your hand is restored, now stretch it out. But that's not the order. See, faith has a different order. God says, when you respond, I will restore. See, order of faith is, when you respond, then I will restore. God always wants you to be a part of your miracle. He does. And he's always going to give you an opportunity to be a part of it. See, a couple months ago, I preached on, on digging ditches. And, and a people who needed rain, they're in a drought. And they said, God, we need rain. And he said, okay, make this valley full of ditches. Did, did God need ditches to bring rain? Could God have made a huge ditch by himself? No, he wants to give you an opportunity. There's an order to it. There's an order to faith. See, the, 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 the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, we, we need to feed all these people. Okay, we'll do it. Once they get in groups of five. Once they get into groups, there's an order to this. Hey, God, I need a financial miracle. I need you to do something in my life. I need money. Okay, cool. Build a budget. There's an order to what God wants to do. There's a specific order to our faith. And see, I, I want to I show you, and, we, and we're talking about the centurion. And, and see, I think what made his, his faith so great, and I think what made the centurion, what made Jesus said, hey, I've never seen so great a faith as this, was his order. You see, when we first read about the centurion, he sends Jewish elders to Jesus. I don't know about you, that's powerful. That's like me calling the, the, the president and saying, I need you to send a couple of your guys you got around you right now. I need you to go tell them I need this. He sent Jewish elders to Jesus to say, hey, we need this guy. And, and listen, listen, he's not just anybody. He is worthy of you to come to him. See, he, is, he has built synagogues for our people. He's one of the most, one of the most uh, uh, lovers of our, of our nation. You, he is worthy for you to come. And, 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 and Jesus, he comes like normal, like normal people do, like what we would do. We say, God, I need you to come to me. I need you to come and visit my situation right now. Look at these things that I've done. Look at how I've, how I've lived for you. Look at how I've done this. And this is how we would ask Jesus to come and be a part of our lives. But it gets to the point where the centurion gets a little desperate. You see, the man was dying. And you know what he realized? This ain't going to work out the way I thought it was going to work out. This is going to have to be done a different way. And he says, send them there and let Jesus know he doesn't got to come to me. 
He doesn't need to come. I don't need him to visit me to know he's going to do his will. See, I know that I'm a man of authority, and this is the man with authority. So all I have to do is say, hey, send me a word. If you would just send me a word, I know that if it's your will, it'll happen. I'm going to get myself out of the way, and I'm going to do this however you want to do this. See, there's a specific order to what God wants to do. There's a specific order to what God wants to do in your life. So you might need God to, to come visit you. You might need a miracle right now. You might have a spot in your life that's, that's withered. You want to know what's interesting about the man with the withered hand? Is it's pretty easy to hide it. It's pretty easy to put it in your pocket and nobody ever know. See, I bet there's people who, there's areas of your life that are, are withered. And nobody knows. It's easy to hide. And God's saying, if you will just respond. So why don't we stand up on our feet real quick? Because I want to get us in a position to respond. You ever play sports? You can't do any sport sitting down. No sport that's worth watching on TV. See, there's an order, and I feel like God wants wants to restore things in your life. God wants to bring restoration to areas of your life. But there's an order to it. See, and it's not just a simple occasion. It's not just, hey, God, I want you to do it here and, and at this moment in time. And when I ask you to do it and, and when I'm wearing it, no, no, no. It's going to be an everyday kind of thing. See, a lot of our miracles don't just happen on a dime. But if God wants to know, are you going to trust me even when it looks like, even when you're uncertain of the outcome? There's an order to your faith. There's an order to what God wants to do in your life. You have to respond, and then he'll restore. See, I think there's areas today, and God wants to restore things in your life today, but a lot of us aren't willing to respond until we see something. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for. The opposite of faith is uncertainty. See, if, if you're in a position and God's asked you to do something, but it's not how, the way that you would want him to do it. It's not how you've asked. See, I think we miss a lot of miracles in our lives because it doesn't happen the way we want it to. Or the outcome isn't what we've been praying about. So when the outcome or when the answer comes and it's not what we've been asking for, we neglect it because that's not, that can't be God because that's not what I've been asking for. See, if, if the centurion's faith was only, was only going to work if Jesus came and touched the man, touched his servant, his servant would have died. But the centurion said, I, I just need a word. See, I wonder... If maybe your miracle today, or maybe your restoration today, maybe all you need is a word. God, just give me a word. I got a word. How about his word never fails? How about that? How about my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches? How about my house shall be a peaceful 
a peaceful place. How about God knows the plans that he has for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How about your miracle might just be in a word from God, and all you have to do is respond to what he's asking you to do, and then the restoration comes, and then the peace comes, and then the blessing comes. You might just need to respond. So I challenge you this week. Well, how do you apply this? He asked the man to do something he couldn't do. Stretch your hand out. How do, you, how, how do you stretch your hand out when it's withered? Maybe this week, maybe this week your faith is going to be built when you do something that you've never done before. Maybe this week you're going to get up and get in the Word every single day before you go to work. You know, if you do something you've never done before, you're going to get something you've never had before. Maybe this week you show up to work on time every day. You want to raise? You need a financial miracle? Order. You respond, and then he... I challenge you this week. Stretch out. Step out. Humble yourself. Step into the grace that God has for you and do what you've never done before and I guarantee your faith will be built like it's never been before. So I want you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here tonight, today, and, and you need your faith to be moved. God, hey, maybe you're at a point and you're like, I have no faith. It's not working. I need faith. Maybe you're at a spot and you need God to move in your life. And, and, and this week you're going to say, I'm going to step out. I need strength. I need God. I need you to help me. If that's you and you're ready today to decide, I'm going to stretch out. God, I trust you no matter what the outcome is. No matter what it looks like. If that's you, I just want you to Put a hand up in the air right now. If that's you in here, that's awesome. God, I thank you right now for every single person who has their hand raised in here. God, that our faith isn't determined by an outcome, but it's determined by your word of God. And your word never returns void. God, so I thank you right now for those whose hands are lifted. God, that their stance is no longer, I don't know, or I'm unsure. But God, their stance is, yes, you are. And yes, you will. Because you're the God who gives. And you're the God who never returns void. And you're the God who's never coming off their throne. God, I thank you that this week their faith is going to be stretched. And it's going to be built. And they're going to do things that they've never done before. And you're going to show up in ways that they've never seen before. Because your word is always true. In Jesus' name, God, if you're here today and you need a relationship with God, you need to get your life right with God. Maybe it's time that you're like, you know what? I need biblical humility in my life. I need to step out of my will and my way, and I need to step into God's will and his ways. And if you're here today and you would like to leave here with a new relationship with God, whether you've done it before or you haven't. If you need a new relationship with God, I want you to raise your hand right now. Awesome, 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 awesome. 
I want everybody to repeat after me. Say, God, I love you. And I thank you for sending your word. God, your son who died for me, for my sins. God, today I make you Lord. I surrender to your supreme authority. Make me new. Wash me clean. And I choose to honor you and serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand? Hey, can we get-